Hey everyone, it's Tickle Time. You're listening to the TMC Podcast. That is the movie club. It's like a book club, but with movies. Today we're covering Jojo Rabbit, the story of young Jojo Betzler. It takes place during the collapse of Nazi Germany. Jojo is set off to join the Hitler Youth when a freak grenade accident coincides with him discovering his mother is hiding a young Jewish girl in their home. Young Jojo is pretty conflicted, but to make matters even more confusing, his best friend is imaginary Hitler. This movie scored a 94% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, a 7.9 rating on IMDb. It was nominated for six Academy Awards, one for Best Adapted Screenplay. And uh, before we get to our amazing guest today, I want to hit a couple corrections. First, we said that the title of the book that this movie was based on was Cage Skies. The correct title is Caging Skies. Apologies to the author. Uh, the second, uh, a little more spoilery. So if you don't want to know what we're going to discuss later on in this episode, go ahead and skip ahead now. If you're still with us, uh, we talked quite a bit about Captain K and our guest Amanda and myself theorize uh, quite extensively that uh, our belief is he's part of the resistance. Uh, we provide quite a bit of evidence to support this idea, but one of our listeners, Patrick O'Connor, presented a piece of evidence after we recorded that to me solidifies this theory, and that piece of evidence is Captain K is often seen wearing a paperclip, which was a symbol amongst Nazi members who were collaborating with the resistance, um, and that made them easily uh, identifiable to each other. Um, good catch, Patrick. And uh, and this, to me, is, uh, is a lot of the evidence that we need that Rosie and, and Captain K were perhaps working a lot closer than we're led to believe. Uh, let's get to the movie, though. We have, uh, as I said, some great guests today. Uh, Prop cause, take us away. Are you a teardrop specialist? No, I there's Russians somewhere out there. There wasn't anyone. I heard they eat babies and have sex with dogs. I mean, like, that's bad, right? We have to stop them before they eat us and screw all our dogs. It's crazy. Seems like I can never die. I'm gonna go home and see my mother. This is Uncle Tickles. You are watching the TMC podcast. That's the movie club. It's like a book club, but with movies. And today, as I mentioned in the intro, we are talking about Jojo Rabbit. I'm really excited. I don't have to fake uh, being neutral about this movie anymore. Uh, I am a huge fan. It's probably one of my top three movies, uh, you know, on my current all time list right now. And uh, definitely one of the best movies I've seen in the last couple of years. Uh, and I'm also really excited about the guests that we have today. We have Harry and Amanda joining us from Ohio and young emerging filmmaker, Brett Gray. He is, are you in Atlanta? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's joining us from Atlanta. Really excited to have him on the podcast. Harry, Amanda, tell all the listeners of the TMC podcast a little bit about yourselves. Hi, my name's Amanda. Um, I'm a Canadian expat now living in Whitehall, Ohio. I'm a researcher, a scientist by day at a, a children's hospital and a Jojo Rabbit fan by night. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm Harry. I'm 53 years old. Uh, I grew up a little bit in Ohio, Georgia, uh, in Kansas. And then I joined the Army. I was an MP stationed in West Germany. 
got out, grew up a little bit more in Texas, and then found myself back here in Ohio. So. And, and born in West Germany too, right? And born in West Germany, yes. I actually, uh, oh, nice. side note, I've never been to unified Germany. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and, and Brett, introduce yourself. So I, I run a uh, I run a Game of Thrones podcast. Name is Planetos Podcast, and I'm starting to do uh, sound for films. So hopefully, my career takes off after this year. And yeah, that's it. Do you want to just take a second to tell everyone about the documentary you were recently working on? Oh yes. Okay. So I I just recently finished working on a um, Atlanta local Black Lives Matter documentary where we. We interviewed like the Atlanta Police Department, some like lifelong activists, and um, it should be uh, it should be a pretty interesting film when it when it comes out. And especially considering the role that Atlanta played in in the election, the national election as well. Yes, uh, yeah. I, I think that makes it even you know more so interesting. Uh, you know, for me personally, something that I'm so interested in. I became a, a financial investor in, in that film. You, you you actually really helped out a lot with your donation. That's um, so fantastic. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And so I as as Brett mentioned, he is a, a podcast host for a, a Game of Thrones related content. That's kind of how how I became familiar with Brett. I met him at Ice and Fire Con back the last time they had it, to 2019. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Harry and Amanda, I. I found through uh, Reddit, you know, I went to the Jojo Rabbit or subreddit thinking that would be a great place to find some people who are passionate about it. I got a, a, a pretty impressive response from people, you know, from the post I had looking for people to come on and their email was, you know, heads and shoulders above everyone else's. Very impressive. Um, and uh, I'm excited to hear some of their thoughts on this film. I'm going to start maybe in a surprising way, uh, not necessarily asking you about the film, I'm curious, all of our intros, we talk about the awards that these films were up for, uh, that we cover. Six Oscar nominations, one for Best Adapted Screenplay. Do you guys watch award shows anymore? Brett, let's start with you. Um, no, I really don't keep up with them. Um, yeah, a lot of the times I, I just kind of, I when I watch movies, I just, I, I like a lot of bad movies. I, <laughs> I just don't really put a lot of stock into ratings and all that. So I just really don't keep up with it. Harry and Amanda, what about you? Yeah, I mean, we don't really watch the award shows either, I don't think. Um, we didn't even become real fans of Jojo Rabbit, I think, until after the Oscar. You know, it was like mm -hmm. during the start of the pandemic last year, so we missed it. I would have watched, I'm sure, if I had known then that they were up for, you know, six or whatever it was. And when I saw your question, it was interesting because, um, same, I don't really pay attention to the award show itself, but... I find myself looking at, at the, the nominations when they come out, trying yeah. to understand what's going on. And recently, obviously, I've been trying to, you know, see what kind of diversity they have in, in the nominations itself and the talk around that. Yeah, you, you know, it's, I wanted to ask the question because uh, when I was going back and looking at, at that, that year's nominations, this was a really strong year for Best Picture. Uh, Parasite won uh, for Best Picture, which was an excellent film. Um, you know, that was another one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. that year for sure but um so you know parasite you had 1917 joker um the irishman which was very polarizing um just from the standpoint of people either loved it or hated it they felt it was too long or they just uh loved getting three and a half hours of scorsese Ford first ferrari mm -hmm. uh marriage story and little women um probably one of the better groups of best picture in my opinion in, in the last yes. couple of years and uh i would say the three favorites that year 
uh, Parasite in 1917, I found some interesting parallels between them and Jojo Rabbit. Uh, you know, there's some obvious ones, right? Where 1917 is World War I. Uh, here we have a movie about World War II, um, you know, very much related. Um, also in 1917 in Jojo Rabbit, you have Alfie Allen and then Rob Stark. So you have, a, <laughs> you know, Theon and, and Rob Stark for, for the Game of Thrones fans out there. Parasite, you you know, is a movie you find, you learn a spoiler alert uh, there that there's this rich family and they have someone unknown living in the house, uh, you know, which Jojo Rabbit, you have Elsa unknown living in the house. Um, so some just uh, some funny connections, parallels to the three, I think, uh, heavy favorites for Best Picture that year. Um, there were some criticisms of the movie when it came out and, you know, we have to address those. And, and the, the two major criticisms were uh, the film makes Nazis too sympathetic, you know, as you have Captain K performing the most heroic act in the whole movie, and he is a Nazi. And then also the, the idea that in a time where we have far-right movements and actual Nazis in our, you know, in our country marching, is this the best way to portray them? You know, I'll start with uh, Harry and Amanda. Do you guys want to talk about whether you feel, you know, either the criticisms being valid or, or why you think the movie works around those criticisms, you know, in a, in a successful way. First, I just want to say I, I've definitely read both of those criticisms and understand them. I was a little more surprised about the, the people saying that, like, the timing, you know, like, if we're going to, maybe there's a time to laugh at the absurdity of Nazis, but not in present times when they could be making a comeback. And I kind of thought, well, maybe that is exactly the time to be, you know, to be engaging in this dialogue. So I was totally surprised about that criticism, but I do, I can understand it as well. Right? I can understand the other side, but do you want to talk to me? Yeah, I think um, I, I want to comment just a little bit too about just watching the movie to, to tie into this, but um, it, this 1917 and Ford vs. Ferrari are movies that I've gone back and researched. How were they made? What was the part of this? I mean, 1917 was a technical masterpiece, as far as I'm concerned, and oh Ford God. versus Ferrari just drew me in, and I, you know, I researched Carol Shelby and those type things. <laughs> and with this, I researched, you know, how did this movie get made? I mean, it was off the wall. It was changed. What's the book? Changing Skies. Uh, oh, uh, Caged, Caged Caged Skies. Caged Skies. Sorry, thank you. So you know, reading the book, understanding how the book came about, and and. Um, you know, it, it would be impossible to have a movie about Hitler without some welling up of emotion about what happened. And, um, you know, the opening scenes where you have Hitler and the screaming youth and all the, you know, the playing the Beatles over that. And I, I can see how that could be feeling like it's glorifying it, but it happened. I mean, that's really what happened. I've seen where they had these, you know, giant stadiums where you held those rallies. And, and uh, you know, I, I got a feel for things. I've been to Bergen Belsen and I've walked through, you know, the, run through the concentration camps and things of that nature. And, you know, the, it did happen. So I feel like he approached this in the best way he possibly could. Tell you. Absolutely. Breton, you know, what, what do you think about the criticisms? Um, are they valid? You know, what do you think about the film and, and how they handle the subject matter? I, you know, I, th I think, I think the criticisms are valid on the surface. I mean, if, if it makes you uncomfortable watching it, you know, that, that's valid. I, I think, um, but, but I, I, I personally think it, it does do a good job of, of, of sort of showing how, how ridiculous the Nazis were, but then at the same point in time, it, it shows, you know, all the, the damage that they did do, 
um, because of like all the, you know, the ridiculous propaganda that they were doing um, and like how, how it affected these kids. I mean, when you're a kid growing up in the Nazi youth, I mean, that's all you're hearing is propaganda. And then, you know, as silly as like the stuff they were saying about Jews and, Oh yeah. They have scales, they have horns. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, that's ridiculous. But then, you know, as a kid, you know, you know, you're, you're more susceptible to believe that sort of stuff. So um, I think it does do a good job of, of, of navigating um, that criticism. Um, Amanda, you had a little bit to add. Yeah, I I mean, I don't know if I'd I'd seen it in a different year or five years ago, if I would feel so strongly about it, but certainly with the lens of say of 2020, I mean, you know, that, I think one of the things that Taika is trying to get across with the movie is that it is possible to have an ideology or a movement or something be absurdly comedic and also terribly dangerous, right? And I think, you know, we saw elements of that, you know, in the U.S., like in the last, you know, well, yeah, I hate to bring up Trump, but, you know, in the right? When, and so it is possible to have these absurd moments that seem maybe like they're making it out to be harmless right or less you know not as dangerous um but they actually they can be you know they can it can still have an undertone of like you know shit can get bad (laughs) you know if we're not careful yeah no and and you've said a couple things that are really uh that that i think are really interesting and, and we should zone in on a little bit the first thing you had mentioned uh was was questioning whether or not maybe this is the right time, right? Um, and, and and I agree with that. I, I think with these things on the rise, because one of the things that I think um, helps minimize the power of something more than anything is mockery, right? Like you mm-hmm. mock something and you immediately take some of the power away from that. So for me, um, you know, that's what this film is, right? It's a mockery of fanaticism. It's a, it's a mockery of of being blind because of how powerful an individual can become and uh, and what you're willing to kind of swallow or accept, you know, in that fanaticism and, and in that blindness, you know, I think all those things are, are, are super accurate. And I think that the film handles those very well. Uh, and I think that, again, the, maybe even the best way to handle these sort of ideas and subject matters, you know, if you wanna take some power away from it, it, you know, this is a great way to do it. You know, and another thing you had mentioned was, you know, I think this is an amazing thought thought exercise. How would you view this in another year? Um, you know, in any if you had watched this in any other year, you know, and, and you consider the timing of, of when it had come out and it only became like more relevant as time progressed, you know, to me, um, you know, because the Oscars happened in, you know, what was it, February of 2020 or something around there. And then you look at, you know, from from that, you know, the point when I think it landed on a bunch of people's radars till, uh, you know, a, almost a year later, January 6, 2021. Uh, again, it, the movie just becomes more relevant in my eyes. And, and it leads very, in, very well into our next question, which is the relevancy that, you know, we're kind of all hinting at now. Uh, this movie has on, you know, recent current events uh, in, in politics. Harry and Amanda, I'll let you guys start. Yeah, well, you know, a, a, a term which I've come to love and hate uh, in this time is being radicalized away from sanity. And 
I've witnessed this firsthand in, you know, in the last year, both attending rallies, talking online with what used to be friends, um, and things of this nature. And it, it's just, it's disheartening in so many ways, but I feel like, I guess in, in some ways to bring it back to the movie, if I were in Germany in, you know, 1938, what would I do? What, what, you know, if I were me now, what would I, you know, then, sorry, what would I do? And I, you know, I can't take a bludgeon to everybody, you know, and, and just, you know, say things that I'm not allowed to say. Um, and so I've got to find a way to communicate and for people to see things and, and to, to uh, understand the impact of words or phrases or just, you know, positions that they take and how that affects others. And I think in the movie, uh, you know, the truth was Hitler was trying to put a lot of his, um, he was investing a lot in the youth. You know, those lines were, uh, he's talking to his mom, Jojo's talking to his mom, Rosie, and saying, Hitler says we are the, the future of Germany. And, you know, what you see is a youth, thankfully, you know, being led, you know, to reality, not being radicalized away from sanity and being led back to reality and seeing the truth of what was happening. Um, you know, we talked about earlier, sorry, amongst ourselves, uh, that, you know, the Holocaust is there in the background when Elsa and Jojo are talking. She said her parents got on the train, you know, that they don't come back from. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that, you know, through this movie, you see the ability of Jojo to see what's real. You know, the butterflies are the, the throughout the movie are the kind of thing, you know, stomach, falling it off to, you know, see his mother um, hanging. Uh, those are some pretty powerful images that he comes to that realization. And of course, being a 10 year old kid, you know, it's great when he tells Hitler to fuck off at the end. So. <laughs> For sure. Amanda, what about you? Yeah, and I, I think, I guess, you know, the Nazi regime, regime certainly, Nazis are, are monstrosities, right? It, it, it's horrible, and so making light of them, I get that criticism. But at the same time, I mean, not everyone in Nazi Germany who followed along, who, you know, was part of the, you know, war effort of Nazi Germany, they were all psychopaths, sociopaths, you know, people that we will never see again, you know, that, so it's important to understand, you know, like, I think, and have this discussion of where this comes from and what sort of people are on both sides, you know, like to say, we're, you know, we're not saying that there are very fine people on both sides, but not everyone is, you know, a, a psychopath, right? We can't just brush it off as that, and, because that means it will never happen again, or it's a very isolated sort of, you know, case, right? Whereas these are, yeah, I mean, for to have a discussion, I think. Yeah. yeah. I, I think there's two scenes in this, in, that really stood out to me when we're talking about the relevancy, uh, you know, of you know current political affairs today. Uh, it, 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 to me, that was just like these two scenes I, I could see playing out today. Um, you know, if you just change a couple uh, a couple names or a couple words. Uh, the first scene was, you know, Jojo and his mom Rosie when they're having dinner. Why so happy? Things are changing. The Allies have taken Italy, France will be next, and soon the war will be over. God damn it! Why does that make you happy? You hate your country that much? I love my country. It's a war I hate. It's pointless and stupid, and the sooner we have peace, the better. Oh, the war will end. We will crush our enemies into dust, and when they are destroyed, we shall use their graves as toilets. Okay, no more politics. 
Dinner is neutral ground, stable Switzerland. I could see that playing out across dinner tables all across, you know, the United States, uh, you know, leading up to November this year, where one per maybe one person's excited about the momentum a certain candidate has, the other person's upset about it, and, uh, you know, no politics at the table, the table's Switzerland, right? And it's, uh, you know, and that's like, a, you know, I think that was kind of a nod to, certain, you know, a very, you know, cliche idea here in America, right? You know, you don't talk about religion or politics at the dinner table. Um, you know, that's, that's, we, I think we've all heard that, right? Um, so that scene to me, I was like, you know, totally relevant to me. The other one was right after Jojo, um, you know, refuses to kill the rabbit. He's, he's hiding in the woods and, and Hitler's trying to console him. And, you know, he's, he goes to that rant where he's kind of like, people used to say a lot of nasty things about me. Oh, this guy's a lunatic. Oh, look at that psycho. He's going to get us all killed. Those people are right, right? Like those people are hundred percent right. But, you know, and we're talking about, you know, fanaticism and how powerful Hitler was and, you know, just, you know, how this can happen. And that was one of those things as, as clear as it seems to us, right, you know, in that moment, that seems so absurd to people, you know, these kids and, you know, people in Germany, like that, that he would lead them to that. Um, you know, so I, you know, and just also in those moments, it's like, you could imagine certain politicians, you know, don't listen to what everyone else thinks. It doesn't matter. You know, like, of course I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. That's just what it's fake news kind of deal. Uh, <laughs> which we've yeah. heard, which we've heard a lot. Um, so, you know, those were the ones, the, the scenes that I saw, you know, and just not to mention just like how, you know, as someone becomes so popular with, you know, within a group, um, you know, how much we're willing to overlook. Um, Brett, did you have anything to add? Yeah, I I don't know if I have any like, like specific scenes in mind. Um, I think y'all, y'all, y'all kind of hit the nail on the head with the, the scenes, but um uh, just to piggyback a little bit off of that idea of like looking over, looking over things and um, seeing what you want to see and not necessarily what's there. Um, the, the 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 scene where he he's staring at the the hanged people and he looks away and says "gross" and and uh, Scarlett Johansson makes him you know look at the or, or Rosie makes him look at the you know what's there you know you can't she you know and he asked what you know he he asked what they did and she's she says what they could um i don't know that's just a there's not a wasted scene in this movie like every scene has a point um yeah and it's so beautifully shot too which you know i I think we'll get to but um you know we mentioned 1917 being just a work of art uh cinematically this is another one where i feel like every shot could just be a painting um I think maybe, again, we'll talk about that when we get into Wes Anderson's influences and maybe perhaps. Brett brings up for me what is the, you know, the, my favorite quote, if you had to pick a quote, you know, they did what they could. Um, and that is, is you know, in what we're talking about here, even a mother couldn't confront him, right? Confront her own son, uh, you know, with his ridiculousness. She had to do it subtly. She mm-hmm. made him look. She told him they did what they could. And she, you know, Went, went about what she did and did what she could. And I think that was extremely powerful, the, the role of the mother here. And and I just read recently that Taika said that's kind of his mother gave him this book uh, to, to read. And so that you know ties in really well. Another thing that I want to kind of 
correlate here about you know what's going on kind of what's happened in the last four years was that the scene the two main scenes for me where Taika channels Hitler's speeches um, in a way that Hitler did them you know with his fanaticism and his hand gestures and his emotion that was able to whip crowds into frenzies you know uh, you know you're going to drain away into a sand, you know, into a, a sand of insignificance in a, or in a desert of insignificance or something. I can't do them, thank God. <laughs> but to me, those were, you know, the, you, you could have been looking at a Hitler reel at that point. And, you know, I'm, unashamedly, I saw the exact same thing at Trump rallies. I mean, it just, let's just whip you into a frenzy about something. Whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to say things in words and emotion is going to pull forth and I'm going to just move you in a direction and you're not going to think you're just going to react yeah it's emotional yeah 100% yeah you know I think one of the criticisms too is that maybe it was too neatly wrapped up right like Jojo was this fanatic but then at the end just for love of a girl you know he changes his mind and you know maybe Captain K maybe at first you know he became disillusioned with the with the whole thing, you know, and, and, you know, did some good things at the end. And so, but, I mean, we have to also, do you not believe that that's possible in, in people? Like, that they can change their mind? Or you, you have to believe in that, right? Or, well, 100%. I mean, 100%. I think, I think in, in life, the only time you see people ch truly change, right, is it, in a lot of cases, it's because someone they love, they learn, is one of these things that they thought they didn't love, right? And, the, one of the first things that comes to mind to me is homosexuality. And, you know, when someone will say homosexuality is a sin and then they have a gay son or a gay daughter, and then that totally makes them rethink everything or they find out their favorite aunt or uncle is gay or maybe their grandma or grandpa is gay. And that's how you change people's minds, right? Um, it's, it's, that, it's that saying, uh, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Like, that's what she was doing the whole time. And, and especially when... Uh, you know, and then he meet or he meets um, Elsa, and you know it's just getting thrown in his face the whole time, like what's really going on, and that he's he's wrong. Um, but you know, it 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 takes you know the it takes him a process of like unlearning and then relearning uh, a better way um, throughout the whole movie. So, then I, I think that's what a good parent does, though. Too, you, yeah. you doesn't force it, you know. You, but they're going to, you know, push you. They, they should be pushing you in the right direction, that's, you know. That's a really good point. Yeah, you kind of have to let them figure it out on their own, right? But mm -hmm. give them the right tools. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and a safety net. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's a good point. We're going to take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. When we come back, we're going to talk about our, you know, our favorite things about this movie. Uh, you know, probably still some heavy material, but I think we got most of that out of the way. So uh, we'll hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, you get the good stuff. This episode of the TMC podcast brought to you by Pop Moms Podcast. New episodes airing now. The Pop Moms Podcast debunks the myth that moms and dads who smoke weed are bad parents. Pop Moms Podcast. This episode is also brought to you by Concerts That Made Us, a podcast where guests come on and relive their entire concert lives, the good, the bad, and the funny. Don't miss Concerts That Made Us. Back to TMC. All right, we are back. Um, you know, we're going to start with the cast. I think, you know, this is a pretty heavy-hitting cast. We have uh, Scarlett Johansson, 
Sam Rockwell, Alfie Allen, you know, the, the child actors, you know, hitting all the right moments. In fact, for me, uh, the moments between Jojo and Yorkie are some of the best in the film. But I think to make it easy, we're going to split this up into the adult performances and child performances, um, because I, I do think there is a, we can draw a line and differentiate there. Let's start with you, Brett. You know, what were some of your strongest performances? Who were your favorites in, in this movie? Yes, we're going to start with adults, uh, sorry. Adults. Um, so, I, I mean, uh, Sam Rockwell. I mean, I, I freaking love him as an actor. But, um, I mean, they, they, they all had... I don't know. They just all brought their A game. I mean, but, but yeah, he, he definitely stood out the most for me. Um, just being sort of that sympathetic sort of character who's, you know, his motivations are kind of gray, like, you know, what, what's, what, you know, what's in it for him. And then you kind of see that he does the right thing at the end. And then, you know, the, um, him, him being like gay, but it, you know, it's he's sort of open about it but which is which is uh it's kind of strange to see that um which you know uh, obviously you know if it was found out in nazi germany he would have been killed for being gay yeah um and i i thought it was an interesting choice um to yeah to to have that that character uh be it be a gay character um and then uh i mean scarlett johansson um, I don't know. They just all did an amazing job, but yeah, yeah. Uh, Sam Rockwell definitely stood out for sure. Um, Harry, Amanda, who are some of your performances? Yeah, Sam Rockwell fans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll pick on the Sam Rockwell character for a minute. I think you know that character of, of being a, wanting to fight for Germany, but mm. not being a Nazi. I believe that existed, regardless of how they got in the war. Germany was at war, and so I believe that, you know, he threaded that character amazingly well as to, you know, wanting to fight for Germany, to go to the front line, to do those things, um, but then his, you know, reactions to like, look, if you find a Jew, they're going to kill you, they're going to kill a Jew, they're going to kill some other people, you know, wow, geez, why? Uh, again, I don't want to make light of it, but you're right. I mean, his performance was, was incredibly strong. Um, this morning, I, I got a chance to rewatch The Best of Enemies, and there's that speech where he talks about wanting to be part of the Klan, which I think parallels almost exactly to Thomason's speech to, uh, or Elsa's speech to Jojo, mm -hmm. but you're not a Nazi, you just want to be part of a group. Um, and, uh, you know, those are, those are pretty amazing. I don't remember the actor's name that, who plays the Gestapo. Captain? But I felt like he just brought that in so well, even in the way that he looked down to Sam Rockwell. The guy's 6'8", and Sam Rockwell's shorter, but <laughs> really looking down to him. I mean, and from the Gestapo to the soldier, like, what are you doing here, and, and those type things. So, um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Scarlett Johansson just uh, was an amazing mother through, through, the, through and through uh, in this movie. Yeah, I mean, Captain K, he's probably one of the major reasons I rewatched it so many times, I think, just to sort of try to figure out what he's all about, I guess, right? I mean, you know, he's disillusioned from the beginning. You can tell kind of, but where did that come from, you know? And then the fact, you know, yeah, that he is in a relationship with Finkel, and we, that they we, kind of subtly hint to that, you know? Like, it's trying to figure out his motivation all yeah. along and, what you know, why he is part of the army. Like, 
and and his arc of sort of being the father figure to Jojo, you know, and and sort and in the end, obviously saving him multiple times, which is you know very poignant and and of a character. Yeah, it's it's a it's a nuanced character for sure. <laughs> we uh, we talked about it. Nana calls she saw snippets of it for a while, and I think the first time we actually watched the movie, she's like, "Wait a minute." He's gay, you know. It's like yeah, you know, no. if you don't, you know, you I grab it on. Yeah, she can get it the first time, and then that scene where they're, you know, they, how they look at each other mm -hmm. and those type of things. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all, it was really good. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, the the one the one actor's name, uh, Stephen Merchant. Yeah. That that's the uh, the, oh, yeah, the tall. Yeah. But uh, what's funny about that scene is they put him on uh, an apple box for that scene to make him even taller. <laughs> wow. That that way he was like really way taller. Wow. And and it was like you said it was it, it was for the purpose of the power dynamic. Um, it's just like a it's just a it's a movie trick that people do. Um, if a character is like physically looking down yeah. at you, um, it, it's sort of to show that they have power um, over. And that highlights the detail here. I mean, yeah. the detail of this movie is incredible. You talked about every scene being a painting, but not only that, every scene was a representation. The posters, the um, uh, the, the the famine, standing in food lines. There were little tiny things throughout the movie. Obviously, we've seen it over and over again. Yeah. There's little things throughout the movie that struck home so many times. You know that you, as you watch it over again, you realize different things about it that were really. I mean, somebody paid a lot of attention to detail in this movie. Hitler's uniform, as it begins, you know, as the war goes on, and it begins to to wear and tear. And of course, the Germans were fanatics about the uniforms. Captain King, you know, obviously highlighted that. <laughs> So these things were, were really phenomenal. You know, I, to kind of jump on the Sam Rockwell uh, bandwagon here, um, you know, he, yeah, phenomenal, great character, right? And, you know, I want a prequel. I, you know, give me a Taka Watiti uh, prequel on, on Captain K where, where we can get his origin story a little bit more. Um, yeah, that would be, yeah. that would be fantastic. Um, but yeah, I, you know, and, and, and part of the thing that I think is wonderful about his character is, uh, you know, we talked about the rewatchability of this movie. With each, each rewatch, I'm I find myself asking how much he actually knows. Uh, you know, in regards to Elsa specifically. Uh, you know, that you, you talk about the scene, uh, Harry, when he's uh, you know where you know he's he's asking how he where JoJo's asking Captain K how he would know if he saw a Jew, and he's kind of like you know why what you know where did you see one, and then kind of tells him like, well, we have to kill the person that, you know, all that. It's almost as if he knows Elsa's there and he's giving Jojo, knowing how fanatical Jojo is and Jojo's a true believer. Um, he's kind of get, telling him like, well, if you tell him, if you tell people about this, about Elsa, they're going to kill your mom. They're probably going to kill you. And they're going to kill a bunch of other people just, just in case. Cause that's how they are. Um, you know, I, I was kind of debating about whether I wanted to hold this till later, but I'm just going to bring it out now. Cause I think it's, you know, it's we're talking about it. Um, and we mentioned the Gestapo scene with with, with Merchant. Again, I as on a rewatch, it occurred to me that because uh, in that scene, the Gestapo are, are, are at JoJo's house already. Uh, Captain K comes in with Alfie Allen's char character, um, and they kind of come running in. Um, at that point, JoJo hasn't discovered his mother's dead, and it occurred to me that maybe they had seen her body. 
I didn't even think of that. And they come running wow. over because and he ends up That's... he ends up covering for for Jojo and Elsa. Yeah. And then he tells him to stay inside and take care of his family. I I always thought it was strange that he just burst through the door like he didn't yes. even knock. Yes. So and I don't no, know why I didn't think of that. Yeah. He obviously had rushed over, right? He's out. Right. He's yes. Left. They're both there. That's wow. Because we wondered like what tipped him off to come. Did he know the Gestapo was coming or something? But. That is a really, really good point. And so, I mean, even just talking about that again, it was on a more recent rewatch. It, I get the chills thinking about it when you pick when you put in that sort of detail. And I think that kind of, you know, again, is maybe evidence or a tip of the hat that he was more involved with with Rosie and the struggle than than perhaps the movie lets on. It's very subtle, but um, I wondered, yeah, I wondered that as well. Sorry, not to interrupt, but just was he? Part of the resistance is that how he knows Rosie? Like, do they go by their back? I, I couldn't come, come to that conclusion necessarily. I don't know if I think that, but I, you wonder it, right? Like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I think the textual evidence is there, and I think that there's enough there. I, it's ambiguous enough that there's an argument for it or against it, which to me, that's always beautiful, you know. And Brett, I don't want to go too much back to George R. R. Martin and the Song of Ice and Fire, but that's one <laughs> of the things that I love about his novels, right? Is that there's always he gives you textual evidence almost for both sides, and uh, and it's you know you could sit there and debate and go back and forth, um, and it's meant to be reread, and this I think movie's meant to be rewatched. So um, yeah. So outside of that, I, I do want to you know uh, maybe acknowledge Takawatiti's turn at, at Hitler. Um, you know we've talked about how you, you were mentioning his uniform. I think you know, and this has been something that's you know, not an original thought. I've I've seen lots of people mention how you know, Hitler becomes darker as the movie goes on, you know, and, and, and I think there's an actual delineating line and it's in that love scene with Scarlett Johansson where he's pretty quirky and silly. And then, you know, Scarlett Johansson's talking to, or you know, Rosie's talking to Jojo about love. And it's that beautiful shot where they're on the stairs and, you know, um, again, painting shot. And then all of a sudden Hitler pops up with his binoculars. And from that point yeah. on, it starts, he's, he's taking a darker turn. Um, and I just think that's a brilliant choice. You know, uh, again, lots of people have noticed it, whether it's deliberate or just, uh, I, I can't imagine it's a coincidence, but I think that's great. And I think Taka just does a phenomenal job. You know, it's only, it's like eerie, and, you know, reminiscent to Charlie Chaplin, um, you know, uh, in, in his portrayal of, of, of Hitler too. Um, yeah, interesting if there's, you know, if that's intentional as well. Um, and we've talked about Scarlett, I think this is Scarlett Johansson's best role. It's too bad Sam Rockwell's in this movie because otherwise uh, we might all be talking about Scarlett Johansson right now. Um, specifically, that scene that I mentioned earlier where they're at the dinner table and she smears the soot over her face and she's doing. Oh my god! Like, yeah, that yeah. that is just I mean phenomenal acting. Don't you ever talk to your goddamn mother like that? Sorry, kid. What? What kind of apology was that? Sorry, kid. 
Jojo. I know you miss me, but I'm... I'm out there trying to make a difference in the world. And while I'm gone, I need you to take care of my Rosie. Can you do that? Uh, it's really great. Um, She's the heart and soul and love of this movie, right? You wouldn't have all of the rest of it be so good if it weren't for her sort of showing what love is, what you live for, what it means to be human. I mean, she really... I is yeah well, and she's the, she's the counterweight to jojo's uh you know imaginary friend of hitler i mean she's you know has got to, and she does win i mean you know it, it's at a huge price but she wins yeah absolutely but go ahead uh, oh yeah i was, I was just going to say too um i mean like even you know uh rebel wilson doesn't have a lot to do in this but yeah. you know she's sort of that the comedic sort of element um where where it kind of uh, some people crit you know weren't a fan of it i thought it was you know i thought she she her timing was good though i, I thought it was perfect um but like i mean and alfie allen's the same way like he doesn't have he really doesn't have that many lines i mean no he i mean he may he may say like two or three sentences yes. throughout the it's easy to overlook his performance sure. but like alfie allen just He's probably the, he was probably the best actor on Game of Thrones. Yes, and, yeah, uh, it's yeah, so and subtle. It, Him and Rebel Wilson, I feel like, are great juxtapositions, right? Because the, mm -hmm. the same reason people probably really hate Rebel Wilson's part, or maybe dislike it are the same reasons they maybe don't know, understand why they really like uh, Alfie Allen's. And she's not she's supposed to be over the top. She's the mockery of everything. You know, like we're talking about taking mm -hmm. away power by mocking it. That's her. That's her role in this film is to serve as that mouthpiece of the mockery. Alfie Allen's just really subtle in everything he does and just phenomenal. It's just like a really great uh, turn. It's someone who's, you know, I, I imagine, and I don't know this for certain, but I like to imagine them giving him the script and just being like, I don't, I don't care if I have one word or two words. We'll, we'll move on to the, the, the children in the cast. I, I thought it was a great kind of like side story that Yorkie and Jojo in real life became like these best friends and had this like true friendship, um, you know, I just spring up over that. I just think it's funny that all the adults have the German accent and all the kids have like, uh, well, Yorkie, Yorkie and, and, uh, and Jojo, they just have English right. accent <laughs> <laughs> for no reason. Yeah. They probably just couldn't do it. But, um, and I think it was, uh, I know it was, I think, what's his name? Roman Davis something. Uh, that was like his very first role. He had never acted yeah. before, which is just a testament to Taika Waititi's like directing. Yeah. Um, we saw a super cute segment of uh, uh, the two actors, Yorkie and Jojo, taking questions and playing Jenga. No, were they playing yeah. Jenga? It was this. It was, and it, you could just see, again, when you see that type of real world interaction after the movie, then you go back and watch the movie, you see other things between them that are just phenomenal. I mean, I can't remember how many times a day we were like, oh, God. I think. I think I heard too. You know, I think uh, Taika Waititi sent them, like to. I, I could be wrong, but I feel like it was this movie where they they sent them, that like to somewhere so they could hang out before they started shooting. Um, I, the, it might it might be them. Yeah, no, uh, I mean that makes sense. Yeah, that would make total sense. Uh, yeah, no, Yorkie was just. I mean, unbelievably quotable, unbelievably adorable. Um, 
as as I watch this movie though more and more, it's Elsa for me. Like she is the one. Mm. Her performance is like haunting. Um, it really, I mean, it's beyond her years. Um, and, and and there's an interesting uh, thing that I don't know if this was just something that I'm conjuring up in my own mind, but I wanted to ask you guys about it. Um, we talked about as the movie goes on, Hitler becomes darker and darker. I, I kind of notice in the most recent rewatches, and again, I could just be looking for things that aren't necessarily there at this point. It almost seems like she becomes more and more human as the movie goes on. Oh, absolutely. And and in absolutely. the, the you know, like yeah. he first asks her when he first sees her, are you a ghost? And then, uh, you know, that very end scene where they're dancing, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of funny to see how, you know, Hitler's becoming darker. She's becoming more alive. It's, you know, where the axis is meet. It's kind of a, a similar point in the movie. Um, but yeah, that, that actress who plays Elsa, phenomenal young actress. I'm really excited to see what, what, what she does. Um, dude, I think, I think that pretty, I mean, Yorkie and Elsa and Jojo, I mean, those are the three children. Yeah. We'll touch on all of those. Um, Kids make the movie, yeah. And the interaction between Elsa and Jojo, you know, as it progresses, oh and I mean, just the heart her there. And, oh, yeah. Her, both her patience and her with him. I mean, her patience and kind of her steering him that you're not. Her strength. Her right? strength, yeah, yeah. yeah. Her, her intelligence. Um, you know, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, when he first discovers her, you know, her, her emotions and her ability to kind of come out of the door and walk down the stairs and chase him and tell him no. And then, uh, you know, when he talks about being a strong Nazi and she, you know, like break free, break yeah. free. And then she's like such a dirty Jew and she takes a bath and he has his butterflies in his stomach. She becomes his sister, you know, those type things, you know, she's, you know, putting herself out there for him, protecting him and also, uh, you know, just being a friend to him. I mean, it's just, uh, it's a, it is an absolutely wonderful performance. It's like, it's like, go ahead, Brad. I mean, she, she is sort of like the ghost of, of his sister. Like, uh, you know, yeah. he kind of, um, but uh, she's got some, she's got some great lines. I mean, like, uh, oh, yeah. she hands him the, the, the picture of, of his face. And he's like, this is just a picture of my, my, my uh, yeah. And she's like, yeah. yeah, that's where, that's where we live. Yeah. Cause he's, kind of, <laughs> He wants her to tell him tell him where the Jews live or something, you know. Also, when she comforts at the end, when you oh know, yeah, no, Jojo tries to stab her, right, and then just the, as a last sort of, and the knife is almost symbolism all along. It's been a symbolism of like his Nazi loyalty, and then she takes it away and steals it. He tries to get it back. <laughs> Hitler becomes more mean, you know, is like keeps the knife, and at the end he tries, I think, just one last time, for like you know, to to fulfill what he thinks he believes in or or test that, you know, and and he can't really do it and then she still comforts him afterwards that gets me like choked up even now right oh and, yeah well and, and, yeah. and the, the relationship there is a reciprocal nature to it right because there's a moment where uh chocho is reading her the letter from her fiance and he's yeah, he's breaking up with yeah. her yeah. and he realizes he's made her sad so then he's like oh i found one more letter right and he tells her you know and then there's the moment where he comes back and she realizes you know that you know how how sad he is so she's like all right i'll tell you uh it and I call it, yeah, I have it in one of my favorite moments, but we can talk about it now, the, like the usual suspects not of the hat, where she's like, all right, I'll tell you about Jews. You want me to tell you about the Jews? Don't care. In the beginning, we used to live in caves, deep, deep. 
heap in the center of the earth. Wait, scary places full of strange and wonderful creatures, all with one thing in common. Mm -hmm. Stealing the ends of penises. No, you idiot. The love of art. No cutting penises off. Do you want the story or not? You may continue, but I know it's true. The penis thing. Rabbis use them for earplugs. And moving on. After many years of developing magic and spells, we slowly moved out of the caves and into the towns. Some of us stayed in the caves, though, in our normal bodies. It's your blobs or something? Well, I'll draw them for you. I'm too young. They grow when you turn 21. These days we live among normal people, but often we take over a house and hang from the ceiling when we sleep. Like bats. Oh, and another thing is we can read each other's minds. Oh my god. Everyone's minds? What about German minds? Mm -hmm. Their heads are too thick for us to penetrate. I also want to point out one, one scene that really, I mean, the very opening, right, when Taika is, is coaching Jojo and Hitler is coaching Jojo on how to say Heil Hitler. <laughs> that almost, you could see, like, the director to the actor role there in a little bit, yeah. right, as you're mm. going through it. It's like, come on, man. Yeah, very meta, right? So, very meta. Yeah. <laughs> the energy, you can tell, I mean, I, I don't know anything about how movies are made or, or how directors work and those type of things, but I've got to think that Taika had a hand in just bringing out the best role for each one of these characters and it's just phenomenal and you're right it just they work so well together and they, they you know the way things flow and whatnot so yeah i mean we're going to talk about a little bit a little bit about him as a director later here um but by all means i mean i think he's you know i don't i, I think it's unfair to call him an emerging director he is you know i think solidified himself as one of the top directors out there right now so so yeah, let's let's jump into some of our favorite scenes. Uh, Brett, I'll let you uh, I'll let you start. The the Heil Hitler scene, as ridiculous as it was, that was a thing, you know. Yeah. Like you, you you did that every single person, or or so so. I, I mean, I could I haven't researched it in a long time, but but yeah, I, um, but I'm pretty sure that was true. Uh, so you know, don't don't at me if, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, um, I mean. I mean, there's just not a wasted scene, but I, I I think my favorite scene is the dinner scene, and then followed by this the the park scene when uh, when when he's talking about when she's trying you know trying she's like you should be climbing trees and falling out of those trees and you should you know she just wants him to be a kid, and um, and then she talks about the dancing. Um, you know, and he's like, dancing's for people who don't have jobs or something. And she's like, dancing is for people who are free. And um, then later he talks to Elsa and she's like, the first thing I'm going to do is dance. And then, um, and then, you know, at the very end, you know, that's the first thing they do well, after she slaps him <laughs> in the face. Uh, another moment, um, not necessarily a scene, but, you know, she's like, I never looked a tiger in the eyes, you know, mm. and, uh, then you know a, a few scenes later she's staring at the the picture of the tiger on the wall 
Um, I, I don't know. I just thought, yeah, the, the, but those those two scenes, the dinner scene and the, the park scene are, I think, the ones that are jumping out for me. The, the, the thing about the, when, when she's, to follow on that is when she's talking about you should be climbing trees and falling out of those trees, mm. there's a moment there where she and Jojo are in the exact same position as when she's hanging. He's staring at her at her feet. Mm, yeah, at her shoes. So she, the shoes that play, you know, the theme throughout as well. And I played that over and over again here lately. I'm just like, it's the exact same positioning. He's staring at her feet. She's standing there. That's all there is. And then, you know, the hardest scene in the movie to watch is when he's following the butterfly to his hanging mother. Yeah. And, you know, he's in that same position where he sees those, and you know, he stares at those for a moment before he even looks up. You know, to to confirm. Now let me ask you guys real quick. Did you guys uh, pick up on the foreshadowing of you know when you guys are watching this for the first time? If you guys can kind of go back in your headspace, um, you know, did you guys? Because for me, there's the scene in the park where it, you know there's two shots. I think where they really zone in on on Scarlet's shoes or Rosie's shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the the pool scene, and then there's the scene in in the park. I didn't pick it up so much on the pool scene on my first watch, but in the park scene. Um, and she's doing the little dance with her feet. It's almost as if, yeah. you know, it's mimicking what a hanging person's feet would look like. You know, the way her feet are going. And I remember, oh, wow. which which comes after they see the the hanging. So I remember I mean, on my first rewatch, I saw that. And I, you know, immediately my stomach dropped. And I said, oh, shit. Like, we're, you know, we're, we're going to see this, you know. Um, I'm glad that they saved us. You know, they, they didn't walk, have us see her feet do that. But, um, you know. Brett, did you did, did did you see this coming? I did not catch it, but now that you say it, yeah, I mean that is definite foreshadowing. Like, um, I'm not very observant on my my first uh, watches of things. <laughs> I, I usually just watch for entertainment, and then I, the more I rewatch it, the more I dig in. I, I sort of yeah dig into it. So no, I I did completely. Uh, it went right over my head, <laughs> but it, it's obvious. Right. It's right there. Totally. I mean, on your first, I mean, on my. The first time I rewatched it, I was just like, it, it seems so heavy handed, but um, like I said, I miss, I completely missed the first one with the pool in maybe in large part because it's like, he gives you the answer to the riddle before he actually gives you the question, right? Because the pool mm-hmm. scene happens, I think before you actually see the feet. So maybe that one doesn't stand out as much, um, you know, that imagery, but uh, Harry, Amanda, did you guys, did you guys remember thinking and having this moment of foreboding when you saw that? Yeah, I didn't. I think there's a lot of things I missed on the first couple of watches, but the shoes, I think you definitely get a sense of that, you know, the, just how they were focusing on them and, and just maybe, you know, the symbolism of them. And, and they really were a symbol of the Holocaust, too, I think, right? I mean, the shoes of, you know, piles of shoes and everything, just an awful imagery of that. And so I think, yeah, I think it was a, you know, a very. I think you notice the symbolism there, but it still doesn't prepare you for entirely prepare you for you know when he turns around, right? It's like such a no. It's yeah, scene. it's still a very emotionally impacting movie. And again, I don't. I want to keep reiterating the fact this movie is hilarious, but it's also you know it makes it it's emotional. You know, it stirs up some things, uh, especially as a parent too. I, I'm sorry, I, yeah, I didn't mean to digress, I, but I did want to like I was interested on your on your guys' takes on that. No, that um. I mean that scene. I mean it. it I mean it, the the movie's hilarious up until it gets to that point, yeah. and then it's just like, oh no! Like this isn't this isn't strictly a comedy. It's just it's a it's a funny it's a movie that has funny moments, but it's not. It's 
it, it's serious too. You know, it has it has a message. It has things that it, it wants to say, and I think it. I mean, I think it does a good job with with that. So, yeah. uh, I mean, it, my favorite scenes is the Gestapo scene, and I think that sort of right before that, that's really the first sort of. I guess maybe not the first, but it definitely combines. I mean, the hilarity and the la the comedy with the horrifying kind of undertones, right, of what's really going on mm -hmm. here in that time. And I think that scene really encapsulates both of it so well. I mean, you really Deertz is you know it's. There's some really, really funny moments in there, but the underlying, you know, what they're there for and, and Thomas and McKinsey having to hail how Hitler, you know, like mm. they're having, I mean, and just being scared for her and if she was found out, I mean, it really, it's, you really feel now what the gravity of, you know, their situation is, right? Well, and, and I think, yeah. you know, uh, there, there's an aspect of the absurdity of doing each Heil Hitler that also ratchets up the intensity and like the, the dread, the impending dread, right? Because it's just prolonging this whole thing. Like you, as a viewer, you're aware of everything that's that's going on, um, and it's just prolonging the inevitable. And, you know, yeah, it's. It, I think it's a it's a great device for both humor, uh, pointing out the absurdity, and and also um, to to create this to make a tense atmosphere even more tense. Um, and to go back and to yeah. even maybe play a little bit more into how much uh, Captain K really knew, um, we do have that scene where um, Jojo is talking to him about, you know, where, where it's kind of like he's talking about some of the things that he's learned about Jews. And he's like, well, where did you learn that? And he's like, oh, you know, uh, research, research, research. Yeah, research. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, well, so much to write a book about that. And then they're, they're flipping through the book. And Captain K is understanding, like, these are some of the things, you know, he knows that the sister, or, you know, Elsa, as Jojo's sister, didn't write this book. So it's just another maybe feather in the cap of, you know, he knew a lot more than than the, the movie lets on. Um, but it, and, and I mean, when when they ask for the, you know, the paperwork, her paperwork, oh, yeah. Yeah, sure, you know, yeah. he steps up to, yeah. and he was, he was like, I mean, he was he was about to hand the paperwork over because he thought, I mean, at that moment, he just stuck his neck out for his them. too, when he like, thinks Steve's coming for the, for the papers, because yeah. he said, wait a minute. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, he thinks. Case face is just, yeah, he understands the gravity of it all too, right? Point. Yeah, because he, he thinks, yeah, he thinks, uh, he just, yeah, his life's over now too. He, I think he definitely was, if, if he wasn't like 100% like, knew about it i think he was he had suspicion I clearly already. figured it out before that you know in yeah. the moment for yeah. sure um any other favorite scenes that you guys haven't hit on i have a bunch so i i, I want to make sure you guys get them out i agree with the rosie on the bike ride in the park one i mean that really like gets at the heart of things and just everything is so the cinematography is just shot so it's so beautiful to watch all of it and how it changes i guess over time right like hitler sort of changes and becomes more darker and true to reality. So too does the, you know, the colors and the scene changing, right? I mean, it does get a little bit darker as you go towards the final battle scene and a little bit more bleak, you know, and but it's, it's shot so amazingly, the colors and the, yeah. So it's a subtle scene, but it's the one where he's delivering the conscriptions and uh, he's, you know, he's still got his scars and he's kind of limping and the older boys who had, killed the rabbit, you know, and tor tormented him or excited in the back of the truck. Oh. They're going off to war. I'm a soldier. I'm going off to war. 
And then when they're done with the park and Rosie and Jojo are riding the bikes, the 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 so the injured soldiers, the, the beaten down soldiers who don't say a word or anything, are again in the back of the truck coming back. Yeah. You know, um, to me that was the, the, the those two combined were a strong scene. No, that's I mean beautiful imagery. Yeah. Give your mothers a kiss. I think is what uh, Rosie says to Yes. Her. Yeah. Go home and give your mother a kiss. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you guys hit on a bunch of mine. Uh, I've already kind of mentioned. Um, you know, I are you know the scenes with Jojo and Elsa. Those I love. I think they're beautiful breakups of a lot of the movie. I think that's where a lot of the heart of the movie is. Some of the most silly moments. Some of the most heartwarming. Uh, you know, we touch on the reciprocal nature of you know Elsa, or Elsa and. Uh, and Jojo have with each other um, in the end, really like, you know, all they have is each other, which I think is another really, you know, kind of powerful, you know, thing to think about, you know, uh, if you're putting yourself in the, the role of these two children, um, you know, I, I love some of the nods to other movies, like the usual suspects, uh, the foreshadowing of, of, you know, Joe of Rosie's death with the shoes we talked about, um, one of the things I love is uh, it's just so funny to to think about this. Uh, you know, Captain K designing a special outfit. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, for this uh, for this battle, um, one of our eagle-eyed you know group members and uh, the moderator for TKO K Podcast Network, he pointed out, and, and this was something I was really excited. I thought I caught. I was re- really disappointed when he pointed this out. Uh, he missed one small aspect of this. So uh, if you look on his outfit, he actually has small pink triangles, and Pink triangles are, are what Nazis force homosexuals to wear uh, during the Holocaust. So that was, a, I thought, just a really beautiful knot. You know, again, attention to detail. Mm-hmm. Talk mm-hmm. about TT doing it. Um, what Patrick missed, Patrick, if you're listening, which I know you are, uh, you were so close to tying it all up. In the very end scene, <laughs> another one of my favorite parts, uh, Captain K, the, his final heroic moment. If you look really closely, he's holding Alfie Allen's uh, cape with the with the pink triangles. Yeah. Um, oh. And it's just, just really beautiful. Yeah, yeah, this really beautiful yeah. moment. Um, you know that if, if you're not super if you're not super careful, you can miss it. His final scene is one of my favorite too, right? Of course. And I think some of the criticism that he got, you were mentioning the triangle and that he had Alfie's coat, you know, afterwards for the cape. Yeah, you know, some of the criticism is is possibly that you know his gayness wasn't really explored much as a character until the end, and then was that used as a way to sort of humanize him, right? At the yeah. end, which is valid criticism, right? Totally. I mean, it makes the it makes the character also maybe so interesting is what it's not fully explored. But I can see that you know the thinking that it's kind of thrilling at the end there to sympathy, right? For sure, but yeah. One thing you, he says at the very end, you know, he says, "I'm sorry about Rosie. She was a good person, an actual good person." And I think that's him saying, like, look, you know, we, Rosie is the good person in this story, right? We, I might be doing a good thing here. There, you know, there's some good elements, but like, Rosie is an actual good person. You know, I'm, I'm not, or you know, that's a strong line. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I, I, that's an amazing catch. I, I didn't catch it. I'll have to. Yeah, I think that um, that that valid that 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 that's valid um, criticism because you, you got to ask yourself, like, when you, when you write a script or anything like that you know what's the reason why 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 is this character gay um does that serve any like or or more often why is their their sexual orientation mentioned um does it serve a purpose to the narrative and really i don't know you know does it uh, you know i'm not sure yeah i mean I, I, it's 
I, I'm, this is my stab at it, but I think it's meant to show um, that here's someone that we see, you know, who's conflicted about things, right? You know, we, we get yeah. that impression. Um, so what makes him potentially conflicted? Um, well, probably his sexual orientation and the fact that, uh, you know, his country believes that he probably, he should die because of it. Um, yeah. And so with that, you know, makes him a very conflicted, more interesting character to me. Um, mm-hmm. you know, because of it, but I, I, I do, you know what, I, I hadn't considered that Amanda until you had mentioned it. Um, I think it's valid. I, it's also, here's the thing. I was actually kind of surprised. It's a two hour movie. It doesn't seem like a two hour movie, you know, it, but because it's so enjoyable, uh, but it is two hours. It'd be tough to really, you know, in, in Brett, you mentioned, there's not really too many wasted scenes in it. Um, yeah. you know, I would hate to see them, uh, you know, kind of like shove a square peg through a round hole just to make it, to give us more background on the sexual orientation when I think they do a good enough job of giving it to us subtly. Um, and, and, you know, again, it's, it, it gives us something to talk about in debate. Um, the, the one, uh, the one scene I think we haven't talked about that is on my favorites is, uh, this is basically from the time period that Jojo is ridiculed for not killing the rabbit till his grenade accident. Jojo rabbit! Jojo rabbit! I'm taking Now, lads, each of you will be given the opportunity to ignite and throw a grenade. I will personally be supervising each of you to make sure you don't blow your eyes out or something. All right, who's first? Don't do that. <laughs> so brilliant. Uh, fantastic scene. Um, They're bounding through the woods. Yeah, even the, <laughs> which is a perfect segue because the music of that scene is a great juxtaposition to what's going on. Uh, let's talk about the soundtrack. You know, it's yeah. amazing. I think there are times that it's uh, it's very reminiscent of how Wes Anderson uses music, where it's just the perfect song at the perfect time. But other times, you know, at the opening, the Beatles uh, in German, uh, you know, I love that choice because it does two things, right? And it does, it shows you, um, you know, it works on on this this level of, you know, I've mentioned juxtaposition a few times with this film, but having such an upbeat, poppy song to this, you know, what we know is horrible, right? The, this rise of this horrible uh, genocidal leader, um, you know, and, you know, and, and we're seeing scenes of that rise set to this upbeat music. And that's very Michael Moorish, I think. You know, there's probably other people who do that or who did that before, I associate that idea uh, with Michael Moore. Um, but then it, it also works in the aspect of showing how, you know, the Beatles were a craze, right? They were a movement. People were, you know, obsessed. They were fanatical. They 
lost their fucking minds when the Beatles would come to town, and that's how people reacted to Hitler. That's how this young, you know, there is a a, 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 a strong correlation between those two um, pop culture phenomenons, right? Um, so there's that aspect, right? And then you have, uh, you know, scenes where it's just the perfect song at the perfect time, uh, like like the grenade or at the very end of the movie. Was it something that stands out to you guys as you guys watch this movie? And let's start with Harry and, and Amanda. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I don't really think I pay attention to the soundtrack that often in a movie, you know, whereas here it just seemed like you would notice it as being just perfect. I mean, the introduction with the real footage of people freaking out over Hitler and the Beatles, you know, it's a perfect introduction to the movie, right? And how he's going to, you know, show that. Yes. Well, and then the, the soulful music that happens during the battle at the yeah. end when everything slows down yeah. and the imagery is explosions happening around, you know, him and, and those type things. And uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting. I, I knew that Amanda was really hooked when she was like adding the Spotify, the songs to our Spotify <laughs> playlist and, and those type things. Um, you know, and, and we've rewatched the dance scene at the very end several times. You I mean, can hear you know, the music kind of coming on yeah. quietly as they're like, as it's know, building, you know, crescendoing to, yeah. to, to where they are. And after she slapped them, and you know, that's just, <laughs> it, those, those scenes are very powerful. But yeah, very good correlation to Wes Anderson, too, because I mean, I've always loved his soundtracks, right? I mean, in many ways, his movies are, are so wonderfully fantastical, you know, they're not like this is just, you know, dealing with so much horror in a comical, wonderful way. But the soundtrack, you're right, it does play a strong part. It does play a very strong role in this movie. What about you, Brad? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, like as we're talking about this, just turn around this scene. So beautiful. Yeah. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. a great dancing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. speaking yeah. of music and that, yeah, just I, I even have that song on yeah. my on my Spotify playlist <laughs> sure. too. Uh, I did, yeah, I did the same thing as you, Amanda. Like I, I had to go in and and uh, put the songs, put the songs on my playlist. But um, you know, the, the I, I can't really. I, I, I'm just going to add to what what you guys have said um, because uh, I can't say it more beautifully than that so but um and i completely agree um the i even he even puts like the horror music for a second when when he when uh jojo discovers elsa which i thought was really yeah. funny and then um to the 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 beatles song um you know a lot of times when we're looking at like old footage historical footage of like you know hitler and like these rallies it, it seems so like, I mean, it is ominous, you know, but that's, you know, there was a lot of people that were super fanatics and they did not see it that way. So, you know, the Beatles song playing kind of just throws you right into the movie and like um, kind of sets the tone, like you're following around like this little Nazi, uh, Nazi youth or a boy gr growing up in Nazi youth. And that's how he, that's how he views the world. Like he, he doesn't look at it as like, an ominous, you know, foreboding thing. So I thought that was, you know, that's a really good choice of, of music. But, you know, if, but then I could see that's why it turned a lot of people away from it too, because, yeah. you know, it's, it, yeah, it's just um, too upbeat, too light, you know, for such yeah. heavy subject matter. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So our, <laughs> our, our first movie for Movie Club was Magruber. And, um, 
you know, <laughs> that was, you know, it's a silly movie. Celery trick. It seems like, it probably seems like a, a big departure going from MacGruber to Jojo Rabbit, but I would say there's a lot of actual themes. There's parody, you know, involved uh, where, there, you know, there's some mockery. The, both movies have very silly aspects. Um, but uh, another thing they have in common was, so part of the reason we picked uh, MacGruber was uh, a Collider had done a list of the, the top 20 comedies of the last 10 years. This is a thought exercise I like to participate in. Uh, at the end of every decade, I kind of go back. I like to categorize, you know, some of my favorite films, albums, TV shows, that sort of thing. A lot of people like to do this. And fun to share those on Facebook and get some uh, and get some conversation going. Um, I was surprised Collider had listed MacGruber as number one. I'm surprised that movie's so because <laughs> when I think something's dumb, I'm like, there's no way anyone else is gonna like this. Because I, I like really, you know, that, that's this type of humor. I, I mean, I like yeah. really dumb, stupid humor like that. But then I'm not, like, I know that usually it's like, that's not really received well. Um, <laughs> yeah, so. they picked it number one, which I was, I was super surprised. So like, I mean, me and my friends, we've liked that movie. I'm a huge SNL fan. Uh, so maybe that plays into it a little bit. Uh, but on this very same list, they had uh, Thor Ragnarok and uh, What We Do in the Shadows. Um now, when I, you know, when, when I was saying what was missing from this list, one of the movies I said was missing was Jojo Rabbit. I thought Jojo Rabbit belongs to be in the, the best comedies of the last 10 years. Had they included Jojo Rabbit, that would have given Taka three movie, three comedies in the top 20. Can you guys think of a director who's had a better run in the last 10 years uh, than Taka's run of what we did in the shadows, Thor Ragnarok, uh, and Jojo Rabbit? Um, which, again, I would argue could be in that top 20. And for me, personally, would probably be in the top three or four. Um, so I'll give you guys a little bit of time to think. Um, is there anyone that's prepared to have an answer now, or do you guys need a couple seconds? I, Well, I, I, I guess I got, yeah. like... Go for it, Brad. I, I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really... I'm not too sure, but, like, I mean, I mean, sort of... I don't think anybody has had a better run when you except for like you know the 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 like the 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 greats really i mean scorsese i mean you know he's always going to put out a good movie um and um uh gosh uh tarantino um you know like but uh, yeah i i can't think of another director that has had critical you know success like like taika yeah and then yeah, because it's just, I don't think he's really had a, a like a flop, you know? Um, yeah, they're all good movies. Um, and like I said, those three movies are, I mean, I think you could make a, an argument that those three are, are all in top, you know, you could make an argument that they're in the top 10 comedies of the last 10 years. Yeah. And he definitely pours himself into a movie in, in many different roles, right? I mean... He's, he he acts in them, he directs in them, he helps adapt screenplays, whatever the case may be. I mean, you can definitely see the, his investment, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Not, and again, I'm not, this is our weakest area, unfortunately, um, but you can see his investment and how that produces, uh, you know, possibly in the way that he uh, invigorates the other actors and the cinematography and all of those things. His fingerprint, maybe, is a way to, to say it. 
um, and that uh, is is impressive. And his movies, again, as we said, they're pretty damn diverse, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Super diverse. Uh, Thor and Jojo are very different. <laughs> correct, correct. Uh, although I, I, I think you know, if you watch them all, you do see a thread that kind of you know the yeah. tie the, the tie that binds them all. Uh, I'll throw out one director just to be a contrarian, um, Bong Joon Ho, yeah. um, who ironically, you know, beat yeah. out Jojo Rabbit in for Best Picture this year. Um, his decade has Snowpiercer, an excellent movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Really good. Okja, which was a movie that I did not, uh, it almost, almost made me stop eating meat. And then and then <laughs> Parasite, which, again, one of my favorite movies from the pa- past couple of years. Um, you know, if there was a director, you know, I think there was a case to be made for him, um, you know, as far as having a better 10-year stretch, you know, and and this specific 10 year stretch from 10, 2010 to 2020. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Guys, this has been yeah, a think- lot of fun. Do you guys have anything else that we haven't touched on uh, that you want to add? It's been a lot of fun, right? Uh, at least for me. And, and we learned a lot too. So mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I'm going to go back and watch yeah, it. Now. No, right. <laughs> I mean, I, I could talk about this movie all night. I mean, I, I, of course, there's there's a lot more um, I could talk about, but I, you know, <laughs> is is there anything you feel uh, it, like you haven't that you that is really? I mean, it, no, no. I mean, that, or your heart. No, I, it's just that you know, it's it's so quotable. So you know, like I don't know. I, I you, I, I'd say if you haven't watched this movie, just watch it. You know, it's. It, it, it's it's a great it's a great movie I, it is It'll, it, i mean it's it's become cliche to kind of say this uh where it's almost you know parody of itself but you know it'll, it'll make you laugh it'll make you cry it's 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 really a roller coaster of emotions um i'll add one criticism i have you know uh i don't necessarily have the same major criticisms that uh you know we, we had mentioned here's my one thing um i'm a well, so i i'm a I have a degree in history. Uh, World War II being one of my favorite periods of history. And, you know, so I've read a lot about uh, Nazi Germany. Um, one thing that Taka got wrong. So the face scar being a, a, a point of shame. This is a maybe little known fact. Fencing was huge in Germany at this time. And actual, wow. and so facial scars were almost a point of pride to the point where uh, young men would actually fake scars they would actually cut <laughs> scars onto their face um because people would associate that with fencing and it was kind of like this badge of honor that you would wear so that that's that's interesting so the, yeah. the fact that jojo was so preoccupied with his facial scars uh being grotesque uh i'm not sure that that's 100 percent accurate you know to the point being i know historically people had uh manufactured similar scars um you know as a point of uh, you know honor but other than that, I love this film. I, you know, I like, like you guys. I could talk about it all night. I could keep talking about it. We've already been going two two hours and ten minutes, uh, which you know, Wait, we have yeah, two hours and ten minutes. Not not super surprising, but also, uh, you know, uh, this is probably going to be a record for TNC. But if there was a movie that you could talk about for two hours and ten minutes, it is Jojo That's Rabbit. True. Thank you guys so much for for coming on and being a part of this. It it was truly special for me. And uh, the fine music of Top Cause uh, taking this. <laughs>